Welcome to the new TV Gold podcast from Media Week's Andrew Mercado and James Manning, a podcast for people who love great television. Welcome to a new episode of TV Gold. I can't get used to that new name, but I do like it. Welcome back, Andrew Mercado. I'm James Manning, and this is a weekly podcast from Media Week that talks about TV. This show is should be big, but I'm getting a feeling there's not a lot of apprehension about this new Aussie drama. You mean the Claremont murders? I do. Was going out on Easter Monday. And yeah. so I immediately thought, hang on a second, are we in a non-ratings period? Because we often are around Easter and the school holidays. Easter Monday is the debut of Farmer Wants a Wife on Seven, and then they roll into Claremont Murders, and it's also the debut of Lego Masters. So, yeah, I'm unclear as to whether or not we're in ratings or non-ratings, but they're certainly behaving as if Easter Monday is in ratings period this year. Yeah, there is a survey break of two weeks, so there won't be um, any official survey period the day we record this this week and then the week that starts Easter Sunday. But it's good that I think that networks are bringing out the big guns, but I'm just a little bit worried that Claremont's not getting the sort of, I don't know, the buzz that it deserves. I I certainly hope people go and find it because I've got to say, I've I've seen half of it and gee, it's so good. Listen, I only knew it was on because it was on the cover of TV Week and I sort Uh of looked at went, what, what? And (laughs) then I realised it was coming next Monday. Like you, you know, I'm not really aware it's happening. Um, Had I not seen that TV Week cover, I may not have noticed it myself. Yeah. Look, it tells the story of three uh, young women who went missing, subsequently found murdered uh, in Claremont in the late, I think it was the late 90s. Yeah, mid to late um, 20s. Yeah, it was a um, a 23-year-old childcare worker, a 27-year-old lawyer, and a um and a secretary who was just 18. And look, it became uh, notorious for became sort of the the biggest unsolved murder case uh in Australia. Only only fairly recently they um someone was convicted and they they worked out who did it but this show tells the story i've only seen the first half and is that what you've seen andrew yeah i've watched episode 1 2 part 1 yeah um i'm i'm a bit angry with 7 actually that i i wasn't able to bang on and watch the second one because you get to halfway and you just want more don't you you just think this is brilliant, and you can't wait to see how the um, the case unfolds and how they they ultimately get work out how to solve it. Well, part one ends on this incredible cliffhanger. You know, there's I'm with you, James. If you've watched all of part one, there's absolutely no way you can't come back for part two after the cliffhanger that it ends on, right? And we're, yeah. no plot spoilers, but that yeah. is one hell of a cliffhanger in part two. <laughs> and you know, it's it's interesting because I didn't pick it. And you know, uh, last year I actually watched the two-part documentary that was on 10 about this. They made a a documentary and I watched it. And it's amazing how much you forget over just a few months because as I was watching part one, I was going, yeah, 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 I remember this, I remember this. But the cliffhanger at the end of part one completely threw me and it was like, oh, yeah, I, I didn't actually 
I, I didn't see that twist coming, even though I just watched that Channel 10 doco a few months ago. It just goes to show you how much you forget when you watch so much TV in between. Yeah, absolutely. The um, And what a brilliant cast. Um, Kate Ritchie and Eric Thompson play the parents of the first girl that uh, went missing, uh, and they're both brilliant. Um, they're very sort of understated performance, and they're not, yeah. They're not lead roles in this. They're really supporting roles, but they're they're both excellent when they're on screen. As is Pippa Granderson and Steve Lamarquand, real-life married couple, playing the parents of the next victim. Uh, there was a scene for me that really kicked in when, you know, they find uh, a body and they come, the detective, as played by Dalip Sondi, walks into a pub and Pippa Granderson just looks at him and sort of breaks down in tears. And that was the first moment in Claremont Murders where I went, okay, this is kind of elevated to a point. That that was a real gut punch, that moment. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that you know, they won't get any publicity, Pippa and Steve, but, you know, they're doing work as good as Eric Thompson and Kate Ritchie. And let's face it, the parents of these victims, they don't get a lot to do. You know, the heavy, heavy lifting is definitely being done by actors like Jeremy Lindsay Taylor playing the detective. And look, how good is Tasma Walton as uh, the kind of, uh, I guess, she's in the morgue looking at the remains of the bodies that are found. Uh, she's playing a character called Karen Margolius, and I thought her performance was was really strong. And, uh, you know, another moment where I thought, oh, yeah, 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 this is really starting to kick it now. Yeah, look, I, I, you've mentioned two of my favourite actors there, Tasma Walton and Jeremy Lindsay Taylor, both brilliant in this, both worth just watching for their work. Um, interesting little fact, they've both been in um, Sea Patrol, but Jeremy Lindsay Taylor, I think, was nearly in every episode, about yeah. 39, 40 of them. I think Tasman was just in one. Uh, um, the other uh, actors that we should talk about is the younger male-female detectives investigating this, Laura Gordon and Aaron Glenane. And, you know, look, I had a slight problem with these characters because they're kind of building a bit of a romance between these two and it's like, oh, look, I know that the material, the Claremont murders, it's pretty dark, but I don't know that I was really kind of going, I, I don't need to see a romance between two detectives. And there was something, Aaron Glenane's character, he was sort of playing it a little bit, oh, I don't know, sort of with a smile on his face sometimes. I just kind of didn't quite get that characterization. So I had a I had a slight problem with those two. But, I mean, Laura Gordon, um, who seems really familiar to me, but I looked at her IMDb and I, I can't recall. Maybe it was Halifax Retribution that she starred in that I'm, I'm picking her from. But, you know, she puts herself out there as uh, pretends to be a, a young girl uh, looking for a taxi on the night and has a cut a couple of really creepy encounters there. I thought she was really, really good. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know that I'm really buying this romantic uh, storyline that's being built up with her and the other cop. Yeah, yeah. The um, I think just quickly too, Jeremy Lindsay Taylor and Tasma Walton, I think we're both in Home and Away too. Um, 
both played a few more episodes, Jeremy Lindsay Taylor, quite a few eps. Um, and look, I can't let any mention of Jeremy Lindsay Taylor go by without mentioning my favourite role. He was Martin Vickers in Puberty Blues. Oh, yeah, fantastic. <laughs> I think Claudia Carvin's husband in the series, wasn't he? Yeah. A, yeah. A very strange dude. <laughs> yeah. But it was a great role. Well, he played a dag, which I mm. thought was interesting. Yeah. Because so often we see Jeremy Lindsay Taylor uh, cast in this sort of role where he's kind of like the, the macho guy and very straight down the line, which is what his detective Steve Kirby is in the Claremont murders. But then when we actually saw Jeremy Lindsay Taylor playing a a really full-dimensional character in Puberty Blues with a little bit of comedy there, you kind of go, oh, yeah, wow, look at you. Yeah, yeah, no, it was excellent. So, yeah, no, look, Claremont Murders, um, part one on seven or on seven plus. I think it's Easter Monday, isn't it? So um, yeah. don't 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 miss that. Um, now, I've got a, a, the next show I'm feeling you might be a bigger fan than I was, Dreamland. Yes, I absolutely loved it. This is a, a kind of a, a a new British. Well, I guess you'd call it one a, a comedy, but it's a dark comedy. Yeah. Um, it's set in Margate, so it's you know set on the sea. And look, we see a lot of uh, British crime thrillers where people are living by the ocean and murdering or pretending to kill themselves, rowing out to sea, and very dark. But this is a very sunny. Uh, portrayal of the English uh, coastline, which I'm sure isn't like that all the time. And the first episode uh, opens up with this party to celebrate uh, the the sex of a baby who they're hoping is going to be female. So everybody is in pink and the food is in pink and there's all these mad characters from this family. And Lily Allen plays uh, one of the sisters of this family who gets off a bus She's all dressed in black, so you get that real sense of she's the dark London goth character as opposed to everyone else in her family. And she arrives at this party and things start to go horribly wrong from that point. Yeah, look, I liked it because it was bright and it was sunny and it was a a crazy English kind of dysfunctional family. And and I love those stories. So yeah, I, I really liked it. I've only watched one episode, but I, I'm a huge Lily Allen fan, James. I love her music. I think she's so unique and original. And I can't wait to see what she's going to bring to this uh characterization in in Dreamland, which by the way we should mention is uh now streaming on Foxtel and Binge. Yeah, look, six episodes. Yeah, Lily Allen's character is very different to almost everyone else in the series, isn't it? She's yeah. like she arrives from, I guess, London. Uh, I'm guessing, um, you know, she's plunked back into Margate. It's interesting what you said about Margate, a, a, you know, a sunny sort of seaside resort. But I remember watching that first episode thinking, gee, I'm never going to go to Margate. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Well, I mean, the, the idea of um, the British coast compared to, like, <laughs> us here in Australia. It is quite hilarious. And they have, but look, they've shot it in a way to make it look pretty like a Brighton show or something like that would be. But I mean, you only have to wait 24 hours when it starts <laughs> to rain and then you can do your British noir crime thrillers. You really can do both things there. Sure. Um, Sarah Kendall was one of the writers on this. Um, right. Yeah. Now you're a Sarah Kendall fan. 
I yes, didn't. I loved Braid. Yes. Now, um, Braid was the, there's a link for Sharon Horgan. Um, is a producer on Dreamland. She was also a producer on Frayed, which I didn't realise. Yeah, um, yeah. There's, there's clearly something going on with uh, all those female comedy writers. They're all kind of helping each other out. And when we say Frayed, we mean F-R-A-Y-E-D. I think it's on Netflix now, and it's set in Newcastle. And, you know, I, I was a huge fan of it, and it was being repeated um, on uh, ABC the other night, really late at night it came on, and I, I kind of watched it through and went, oh, yeah, I love this show. But, yeah, uh, it, they're very much... You know, they're very, very dark comedies, aren't they? And Frayed was set by the coastline in Newcastle. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I guess they have a few things in common. Dysfunctional families uh, living by the beach and uh, things going wrong all the time. Yeah. Um, Sharon Horgan actually co-founded a British production company, which I didn't realise, called Merman. And do you know what a merman is? Yeah, it's like the male version of a mermaid, isn't it? Very, very good, yes. (laughs) I I didn't know. It's not a word you hear often anyway. No. um, (laughs) And um, I guess they're the type of men that those female comedy writers would would, uh, put up with. You know, I think – in fact, it's making me think now, if we look at Sharon Horgan and Bad Sisters, that great uh, comedy she did for Apple TV+, Plus, they lived on the beach too, didn't they? In the first episode, they all go swimming together. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that was that's from Merman was the production company involving Bad Sisters as well. So there's 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 a link there. But yeah, look, I uh it didn't really do it for me. I didn't think it was that funny. Um uh, all the pink stuff look was an interesting take on, you know, a, a quirky family, but yeah, I just just kept thinking, yeah, look, I I just don't think I'd be going back for the uh the other five episodes. Look, I will because they're short. They're half-hour episodes, and I tend to – I really like a comedy. We watch so much drama, and sometimes it's very heavy, and sometimes I don't want to go to bed after several hours of turgid drama. So a little half-hour comedy that I can watch and, you know, go off to bed and maybe dream about that rather than some serial killer hacking me to death in my sleep is is a (laughs) – option (laughs) (laughs) yeah look we've got a big budget drama we'll get to in a minute but first i thought we might sort of segue from dreamland to auntie donna's coffee cafe which it's it's a a quirk another quirky little uh, comedy if you like um bit of an acquired taste perhaps if you're not familiar with the work of the uh aunt auntie donna crew yeah exactly i mean they are kind of I first noticed them when that Netflix series, Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun, appeared. And, I mean, I was vaguely aware that, you know, they were a group of comedians from Melbourne, but they're, they're quite – their comedy's quite absurdist, isn't it? You know, it's really crazy, surreal shit. And <laughs> I thought Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun was, I think – a little bit more fun because they could jump from skit to skit and do all of these different skits within the same show. To me, um, their new show is kind of struggling a bit because they're kind of in this one location. It's a coffee shop that they're running. And of course they're not running it very well at all. And look, you know, I liked uh, some of it. I laughed at some of it, but I also sat there and didn't laugh at uh, some of it as well. So, you know, it's, it's, to me, there's, there's something there, but it's, 
it, it's going to take a while to find its feet being locked into this one location of a coffee shop. Uh, to me, I, I wonder if they're going to be able to sustain that for the, the length of this run. It's on the ABC and iView. I think it might be just four episodes. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, and I'm sort of struggling to work out how they're going to going to keep the audience engaged across those episodes because you can. See, I've seen some of the images from the future, and they do different wacky ideas, I guess, to bring in customers. Look, it's a it's a funny send up of the cafe scene, but uh, I think it could have been. A lot funnier, you know. There's the ideas are great. Like, oh, you know, for people who don't want um, regular milk, you can. We've got platypus milk, you know. That's, yeah, yeah. That's very funny. And there's, you know, there's lots of ways you could send that up, but it just, yeah, it just didn't work. It was just too weird. Too many sort of, I don't know, ideas bouncing around that that didn't gel. Two strikes and was out for me. The first one was an unnecessary vomit scene. <laughs> We've talked about that before. But then the, the second one where I had to go, okay, I'm out of here, when they started talking about blood in someone's stool. and Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Look, it's really out there. Look, um, there's going to be obviously there's going to be some great uh, guest stars and cameos in this. I mean, I noticed uh, Nazim Hussain yeah. playing a little boy who'd shrunk him, a man <laughs> down to boys' size to take advantage of the free kids' meal. I mean, that was really out there. And then Stephen Oliver from Black Comedy turning up as like a Pied Piper. I don't know <laughs> where got to that part, James, but all of a sudden he's there playing his flute, bringing in more. Like, it's really <laughs> crazy shit. It's out there, man. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm like you. I worry whether or not they're going to be able to sustain it because there were certainly moments in this where I was like, What's happening now is not funny. When does a funny bit start again? But when it's funny, it's funny. That's the thing about it, you know, and that's why I liked Auntie Donna's, uh, the, the show they did on Netflix, because there'd be one skit that would be hilarious and then the next skit would come along that wasn't funny, but then the next skit would be. To me, they kind of work better as, fun, as sketch comedy rather than placing themselves, plonking them down in one location. Reminded me a little bit, there was a, a Bondi Hipsters series that was possibly on the ABC, or yes. I think, and they did a funny send-up of a, I think it was a cafe and a clothing store. Correct. Or a, a very hip store, and this store was so hip and so off the radar, and it was never open. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I, which I thought was very funny, but... But ultimately, I think it was only part of an overall show. It wasn't the main thing. So I think there's still a, a good opportunity to be out there for somebody to do a, a, a quite a send-up of that whole cafe scene. And it doesn't have to be Melbourne. It's sort of pretentious and, and very wanky wherever you are, I think. Yeah, you're right. I mean, if we talk about the Bondi Hipsters, their TV show, bon Soulmates, yeah. they play whole bunch of different skits within the same show and then there was a continuity to it over the episodes and that might have worked better for auntie auntie donna yeah you know let's wait and see where they go sure sure okay look the big budget drama i mentioned is rabbit hole a series that's uh, come to paramount plus um there it launched late in um march 
I think they're dropping an episode a week. They're up to about three episodes. The big draw card is Kiefer Sutherland. He plays a sort of a corporate spy, if you like, called John Weir. Um, it's, it's, I don't know, the Sorry. plot is a little bit all over the place, but in the first episode you see him, he's got a team of sort of crooks who work out of this building, and they're employed by big corporations to do undertake dirty tricks, if you like, that, yeah. you know, the things that the company wants done, but they don't want to be caught doing these nasty things. So they outsource it, if you like, to Kiefer Sutherland and his crew. Interestingly, part of that Kiefer Sutherland's crew is an Australian actress called Georgia Cadence, who um, her credits say she's sort of a Canadian Australian. She lives in Byron Bay, I think, when she's not working in the US. Right. It's she- funny. I could hear that accent. I kept thinking to myself, that girl's Australian, but it, it kind of didn't make sense, and I didn't recognise her. Yeah, right. Yeah, but um, no plot spoilers. But you've got to be watching early on in the series if if you want to enjoy her work. Um, but yeah. yeah, for for me, look, the the plot was a bit all over the place. Um, there's a nasty suicide scene, which I think is is sometimes put into shows without too much thought. I mean, it, you know, things like that, uh, it's just hard to watch sometimes. And they keep referring to it in subsequent um, parts of the, the series. And, you know, I just didn't really buy into this. To me, it felt like, you know, that suicide scene and, and the way they kind of graphically showed the body the, mm-hmm. afterwards, it, it felt to me, because this show's made for Paramount Plus, to me this feels like a show that would have been on American network TV, you know, but because they put it on a streaming service, Kiefer Sutherland can say fuck and they can go a little bit further with, you know, the violence in it um, and particularly in that suicide scene. And, yeah, look, you know, I'm not a Kiefer Sutherland fan, so <laughs> I really... Yeah, you know, I've never been a fan of his, so I was watching this going, oh, God. And I, I have a real I have a real issue. And it's like those American crime shows like this where someone's sitting at a computer and, that you know, all of these shows seem to have one. It's a very NCIS trope where you've got someone sitting at a computer and they just go, oh, can you just zoom in on that street corner and the person goes sure and they go tap 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 on the key and suddenly we're seeing a perfect high definition shot of a person getting in and out of a car because there's this amazing computer hacker that can do everything they want within 30 seconds and that was the part of this show where i was like going really and you know that scene where they were pulling off one of their stings and Kiefer Sutherland sitting across the road in a car because he just found a park in New York City and is able to be there and all of these things just being that they're these tricks that they're doing who then they all go off without a hitch and the person they're hacking into every computer and hacking into a TV network and changing the news bulletin in the bar so that someone can watch a, a fake news bulletin. I was like, please, like you've really got to let leave your uh, suspension of disbelief at the door here. And look, some people love those shows. And I noticed on Gogglebox, everybody watched the first episode and was going, wow, wow, what a plot twist. They're all buying it. So clearly there's an audience for it, but like, I'm not the audience. I don't like these American crime shows that really stretch the limits of believability. Yeah, look, I'm a bit of a cynic when I see such shows on um, Gogglebox sometimes. Look, this is a 
a relatively obscure US drama, just happens to be on Paramount Plus, who screen Gogglebox. Oh, what do you know? The show pops up there. So, yeah. you know, Foxtel and um, Paramount, who share the rights to Gogglebox, do push a lot of their own product on that show. Um, something that did keep me a little bit interested, I think, is that the final scene of the first episode, someone shows up. It's yeah. Ch- Charles Dance. Wow. Okay. Joins the cast. Um, I'm pretty sure that's the end, the last scene in that first episode. Yeah, um, right. And I, I immediately think, oh, well, maybe I should stay in and find out what he what he's doing there, you know, in the next episode. Because to me, if Charles Dance arrives on a show, it it always lifts it a little bit. So it just brings a bit of British class to whatever he does. Yeah, yeah, true, true. Yeah, look, I, I won't be going back for a second. <laughs> I, this is a rabbit hole I don't need to go down. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I think you're a bit dismissive of Kiefer Sutherland's career there too. Look, he's he's not everybody's cup of tea and he's got a you look through his cv and there's some really bizarre off <laughs> off the radar choices some really weird movies he's been sort of up and down i guess you think back to the i thought you might have been a fan of the lost boys back in the 80s which was sort of you know very yeah, kind of, yeah. very very cool for a lot of people there he would then he was in sort of young guns which was like a a lost boys western if you like with a lot of those sort of young hollywood guys sort of making a western so i think there was two of those young boys but then he sort of found his groove as jack bauer in 24. yeah which um something was over 200 episodes of that were just had an amazing run. I mean, I remember back when it launched in Australia, it was a big deal, but it gradually lost the vibe in Australia. And I think it stayed more popular elsewhere. Uh, and was, I tell you, James, exactly why I didn't watch 24 and I was never really a fan of the show is because it screened on Monday nights opposite The Secret Life of Us. Uh-huh. On seven and Secret Life of Us was on ten, and I was so a fan of Secret Life of Us. There was no way I was going to give that up to watch Twenty Four. And I, I remember that Twenty Four sort of smashed Secret Life's ratings and really kind of gave it a hard time. Um, but yeah, it was just something. And the, the other show, big show he did was uh, Designated Survivor. Right after yes. Twenty Four, that kind of was another American. Uh, uh, thriller show that he did, but um, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm just not a fan. And I, I was walking along the road thinking about this podcast today and thinking to myself, why don't I like Kiefer Sutherland? And I can't <laughs> explain to you why I don't like it. I just, it's just one of those guys I, I'm just not a big fan of. He's a little bit wooden, isn't he? He's a bit, you know, he doesn't, you can say some of his roles don't seem to have a lot of depth of character, but. I don't know whether that's his, what he brings, or maybe it's the writers don't give him, you know, maybe more to work with. He had a very famous cameo too in um, A Few Good Men. I think it's just uh-huh. in one little brief scene. So he's got a, a really interesting body of work. But look, just from some of those shows, there's obviously a a lot of people who enjoy his work. So that yeah. might might be enough to carry the show on. Yeah, I believe so. I believe I'm, I'm in the minority with Kiefer Sutherland. I think a lot of people love his work. Yeah. Look, I wanted to wrap up with a few things. First of all, let's go for our show of the week. I'm pretty sure we're both going to pick the same thing. 
Well, no. Mm, oh, no. hang on. I'm going to go the comedy. I'm going to pick Dreamland, followed closely by the Australian drama. I think Dreamland is nutty enough that it might be going somewhere quite bizarre. Okay. Pretty controversial selection there, Andrew. (laughs) You know, I'm going going Claremont murders big time. I just, wow. But it's simple. I mean, look, the good thing about it, you know what I really liked? They didn't show any of the bodies. Yeah, yeah. Very true. I, I think probably out of a bit of respect, I guess, because this is a an Australian drama about a real life story. But yeah, but it was still just as shocking, to, wasn't it? Real watching yeah. it, it was still shocking without them having to show the graphic detail. And I wish more people would take that on board. Yeah, I thought I think I think it was done very respectfully in that sense. Yes, for sure, I agree with you. Yeah, so yeah, different it's shows. It's boring the- if you and I pick the same show every week. Don't you? So <laughs> it would. It would. I'll go Dreamland and hopefully our listeners have got two choices. And I also just want to do another little tip out there. Um, I just want to talk about uh, The Young and the Restless on Foxtel, which okay. just celebrated its 50th anniversary. They had, had a week of uh, episodes with everyone celebrating Genoa City's bicentennial, and they brought a heap of faces back from the past, and everyone was decked out in designer gowns, and there was a, a real uh, show-stopping performance from Michelle Stafford as Phyllis, who, of course, had to come into the celebrations and cause drama, which is why we watch Y&R. So, yeah, great job on uh, The Young the Restless. Okay, look, I'll wrap up with a couple of quick things. And while on the subject of anniversaries, I wanted to note the 100th anniversary of Warner Brothers, the studio this yeah. week, which they're celebrating um, right around the world, actually. And there's some interesting stuff out. There's a few books that have been published that the detail sort of the successes and the triumphs of the studio across the years. And there's actually some candlelight concerts um, right around the world. But in Australia, they're in uh, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane and Perth. And, right. you know, it's being held in a church in a Sydney. I think there's a town hall maybe in Perth, but they're in different locations. And what it is, I think there's a, they have a, I don't know if it's a full orchestra, but they have a, a musicians play music from the classic um, Warner Brothers movies. Wow. And, and I guess they just deck the whole thing out in uh, candles. I've seen some images and it's quite dramatic. And I, I might even sort of put my hand in my pocket and go along because it sounds like a bit of fun. How interesting. Yeah, and quickly some Easter viewing. So, look, Dreamland and Claremont Murders, of course. Some things I'm really looking forward to is, look, I'm not a big science fiction fan, but Tony Collette's in The Power, which looks yep. really interesting. That's on Prime. A couple of Netflix things, which I'm looking forward to, Transatlantic, which is a movie about a um, a US journalist who was in France, I think during the Second World War, helping to evacuate people. And Beef, which is a new series on Netflix, which is getting some good reviews. And a Kira Knightley movie coming to Disney+. Plus. I think it's up there now called The Boston Strangler. 
Oh, James, uh, I've watched it. We should put that on our list for next week. I thought it was fantastic. Oh, really? Okay, great. All the, right. the other thing that I want to point out too is on Easter Monday, although this is going to eat into you watching the Claremont murders, oh, yeah. uh, so maybe watch it back on SBS On Demand, George Michael, Portrait of an Artist with Stevie Wonder and Stephen Fry talking about his career. That looks sensational. Oh, fantastic. And look, I've stuck with Last King of the Cross. I think that is brilliant. Episodes drop every Friday and just doing some fantastic work. I'm really enjoying it so much. Thanks for reminding me. That's one of those ones I've fallen behind. I think about two episodes behind. Okay, great. All right, Andrew, thanks for um, showing up for TV Gold again. We'll be back to do it all again next week. Thanks, James. Have a great week. 